Okay, so recorder is on. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome aboard. My name is Blaine Strickland. I'm assembled here with um, Matt Porter of Menlo Dental Transitions and Rich Andrus and Mark Haslip of Menlo Commercial Real Estate. We're here today to bring you some ideas about how you can work through the situation that we're in and prepare to come out of it in a really strong way. So let me let each of these men, these gentlemen, introduce themselves. Um, Matt, I'm going to start with you. Um, take a moment and tell us about mental of Menlo Dental Transitions and what your role on the team is. Certainly. Menlo Dental Transitions is uh, the largest practice brokerage, practice sales firm in the state of Arizona. Uh, we also specialize in providing certified business appraisals of general and dental specialty practices. Okay, and, and your role on the team, how do you, how do you uh, play? So I manage the day-to-day -day operations of the entire dental transitions and brokerage division. Uh, I also am a certified valuation analyst, so I directly oversee any of the certified business appraisals. And in addition, I specialize in practice sales between one to $3 million. Okay, perfect, great. Uh, Rich, let's turn toward you. Your company is Menlo Commercial Real Estate. Tell us about that company and what your role is. That, so Menlo Commercial Real Estate is a full service commercial real estate firm. And I personally specialize in the sales and leasing of dental office properties and investment properties and uh, have been here doing dental commercial real estate since 2010. Okay, perfect, thank you. All right, Mark, your turn. Um, if you would, help us understand your role on the team. So Rich and I are essentially uh, colleagues and partners. Rich handles the, uh, the west side of the valley in the Phoenix metro area. I handle the east side and doing exactly the same thing. Okay. Well, since we're all introduced and we've got the topic in front of us, let's turn to some of the questions that we're starting to hear from your clients. These are folks that you work with on a daily basis or prospects that you will be working with. Let me read one of the questions that's uh, come in that you uh, could help us respond to. What, are, what can we do to stay close to our patients and provide benefit to them when they are not in our office? So let's see, uh, Mark, why don't you take that one? You're uh, muted there, Mark. Let me uh, get you start over. Sorry, got it. So, no, look, it's a great question. And, and Blaine, yeah, we're certainly getting it a lot these days. And I, I think that the benefit of living in today's day and age with the technology that we have, we've got some really good options to be able to, you know, for dentists and clinicians, medical providers in any format, to be able to connect with their patients, which is really, not only in the short term, but the long term, I think, going to become even more relevant. And so one of the best ways that uh, the current situation is going to flesh out and do a good job of, but certainly that we'll use in the future is tele, you know, some type of telecommunications. You know, we're calling it teledentistry or whatever the case may be. But it's just a way for clinicians to be able to connect with their patients, not just, you know, to, to do an exam, you know, via a Zoom meeting or a Google Hangout or whatever modality it is that they're using. And that's important. It, it's certainly going to be important for these clinicians to be able to make some clinical diagnosis and determine if the needs of their patients from a health perspective uh, is going to be something that necessitates an emergency procedure or, you know, an in-office, uh, you know, exam that's going to, you know, kind of further the diagnosis a little bit or not. 
But more importantly, Blaine, I think what I'm saying is that it's just a great way to connect with the patient, to build a relationship, to stay relevant and to stay connected. You know, for those of us who have ever had a, an experience in our life, and there's probably not many of us that have, that have had a phone call from a medical provider of any sort, as he or she happens to be, you know, in their car driving on the way home and said, hey, Mark, I, I was just thinking about you. I know you're in the office today. Wanted to see how you're feeling. Those are moments and experiences that you never forget. And concurrently, they're also moments and experiences that you are most likely to share with family and friends because those experiences are so unique and, and rare. So people notice effort, uh, they're grateful for it, and it's a, a, an absolutely fantastic connecting you know, mechanism you know, for patients today and, and their clinical providers. So on top of that, look, yes, uh, the ADA has gotten a little bit more progressive in coding and allowing these clinicians to bill for these types of services as they should be able to do. They're dedicating their time, they're dedicating their knowledge and expertise, so they should be able to do that. Now, look, the reality is no one's going to retire five years early, you know, based off of these types of, you know, teledentistry exams. But again, the most important, I think, is just the contact uh, and the communication that I have with, with patients. So teledentistry being one, and I would say the second is, is just kind of an extension to that, and that is the use of social media. Look, whether it's, a, you know, into the future, whether it's a promotion that you're running, whether it's just simple, you know, basic medical advice that is relevant to a patient's oral health that you can pass along and connect with them is some type of social media platform, a Facebook, an Instagram, a blog, a vlog, whatever it is that happens to be a modality that works for you know, that particular office. The, the reality is this is how the world is functioning and communicating these days. So I think it's incredibly crucial and, and ever more important these days for all offices and including our medical providers to be able to communicate with their patient base via a platform that we're all used to using in some form of social media. So not only does it, you know, again, provide some of the things that teledentistry can provide in that contact, you know, that relevance and that connection point to the patients, but it will, it will give an office some additional background information as to the patients, you know, what, who they are, what they like, where they're at. Um, some of these things, you know, can be brought up via some of the, practice management softwares that these offices are using, but to be able to add some additional information that a patient maybe didn't fill out on their medical history, a birthday, an anniversary, something that's relevant that then that office can connect with that patient on at a human level, not just an oral pathology level, but at a human level, I think will become really relevant and really beneficial. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. What I heard there was that it's all about engagement and that both parties benefit from that engagement. Thank you. Um, uh, Mark, let me turn back to you. Here's a second question that's similar to that that I want you to think about for us. Um, what are three or four things I can do during the downtime that will help my, that will help benefit my practice in the future? Yeah, so look, great question. And it's a question I think that everyone is either, you know, vocalizing or certainly got it in their in their heads. You know, Blaine, I, I've heard and I've been in this business for almost 20 years now. And I, I've heard for a long, long time, hey, Mark, if I, you know, if I could only get a couple of weeks just to dedicate myself to the business and to my business, I would love it. You know, there's so much that I need to do, want to do, could do. Well, now we've got, you know, we find ourselves in, in, the, in, a, in the current condition with this COVID situation that we've got the time. And so now that question becomes more relevant. So we've got an opportunity now 
to take advantage of doing some things. You know, look how many times have we sat at home? Gosh, I, I'd love to clear out my garage. Well, we, some of us have been talking about that for years, but I've just never taken the time. Well, now we can take a look at that in our business and say, okay, what are some of the things that we need to do? So that is a background. Look, there's several, I think, things that a clinician can do to really start to dial in some of the things of their business. Number one, I would say to focus on a daily huddle. Look, if you're not meeting with your staff every morning, you should be. So now we've got time to, you know, if you've never done it, that's okay. Now we've got time to sit and think, okay, how is that going to work? How is it going to work for me and my business, my practice, my patients and my staff, right? And we can ask ourselves, what does that look like? And flesh that idea out. Daily huddles will give you a chance to review every patient that's coming in that day, what their medical background is going to be, what treatment they're expecting to receive, and what are other areas of opportunities that these small businesses can take advantage of, i.e., do we see their husband, their wife, their kids, their neighbors? When was the last time they you know, referred a patient? Um, did they have a birthday coming up? Is there something special that's coming up in their life that I can you know, connect with them socially on? So those daily huddles will give those perfect opportunities to connect at that level. So daily huddle would be one. Next would be, I would say, let's define what an active patient is. That's really relevant in the dental industry. And there's lots of different thoughts on this. Is an active patient someone that's actually physically been in your office in the last six months, 12 months, 18 months, two years? Not only when have they been in, but some additional thoughts like, do they pay their bills? Do they show up at their appointments on time? Do they refer their family members and friends? These are you know, other types of questions that we need to start asking because it'll, it finally gives us a chance to slow down and say, who do I connect with as a clinician? Who do I like working on? Do I like the baby boomers? Do I like younger kids? You know, do I like you know, something in between? What, what type of personalities do I like? What type of you know, patient am I really after? And if you can define that, then you can then go take a little bit of a deeper dive into your practice management software and see exactly what percentage of your patient base is lines up with that you know type of ideal or active patient that you want to treat and that might be an eye-opening experience for a lot of people you know you might find in a good way hey that's 70 percent of, of my patient base and it might you might have the opposite impact oh my oh my word right it's it's only 10 percent of my patient base i gotta actually work on that and what does that look like so daily huddles active patients definition i think would be helpful then let's focus on maybe some other low-hanging fruit like radiography so one of the benefits of having insurance these days, and I know we love to complain about insurance and reimbursement rates, you know, from a clinical provider standpoint, it's difficult. And I, and I get all those, I think those are valid concerns. But one of the benefits of having a practice that accepts insurance reimbursement is the fact that that reimbursement is there to pay for preventative maintenance and, they, and you get oftentimes very little pushback or no pushback at all. And so, one of the one of the things that we can identify in a daily huddle is what are the patients that are coming in on today's schedule and do they have updated radiography so as a clinical provider whatever you know whatever my treatment protocol happens to be is it a full mouse series an fmx or am i more of a panel and bite wings type of provider whatever it is that your you know your treatment platform or your diagnostic you know your diagnostic platform happens to be the good news is, is that that insurance company will oftentimes reimburse and reimburse 100% of your fee for that type of, of, of procedure. 
not only is it a fully reimbursable procedure, but the reality is, is that when you update those radiographs, you oftentimes find some new treatment that, you know, that the patient needs. And so if you're doing, you know, the best job that you can as an oral health care provider, you're going to have updated uh, clinical information that allows you to make the most accurate diagnosis possible. So updating radiography would be another one. In addition to that, treatment, planning, presentation. How good are we? And look, this can be a sensitive topic for a lot of providers. I mean, we spend a lot of time, money, and resources you know, into treating our patients. But none of that matters if we can't adeptly communicate what we've spent years of sacrifice in, in providing the, you know, the ability to actually understand what's going on from an oral pathology standpoint in their mouth. None of that matters if we can't communicate that to the point where the patient understands it, accepts it, and then is willing to schedule for that treatment and get that treatment you know, taken care of. So that all hinges on our communication. And the better we are at communicating treatment, I think the more uh, the higher rates of uh, treatment acceptance we'll get and the more profitable and productive the practice will be. So work on those skills. Next, I would say periodontal disease is a really good area to define in a practice. Periodontal disease is one of these areas in, in, an, in, a, in a regular dental office these days that it's, it's just, it's not a black and white definition. Meaning this, what, you, what one provider defines as having periodontal disease is often slightly different than what the next provider will define that disease to be. Is it four millimeters? Is it tooth mobility? Is it recession? Is it bleeding on probing? Is it bone loss? Or is it some type of combination of all of the above or none of the above? I don't know. Look, I'm not qualified to make that decision, but those clinical providers are. And so it becomes very important because this is an, an extremely important part of preventative maintenance or ongoing maintenance for a lot of these you know, patients that are in these practices these days to define what that is in our office, define who we're going to treat in our office for that disease and how we're going to treat them. And if that isn't clearly defined, which look in my experience, oftentimes it's not, and it's really not any fault of the, of the clinical provider. Oftentimes they get so busy doing so many other things, but now that we've got some, some time to kind of do a bit of a reset and say, hey, let's define that, they're going to find again that what they have pictured in their head for the definition of that disease, the treatment modality of that disease, isn't being understood by their staff and isn't being adhered to by their patients. So if they can define that and implement that, uh, that type of treatment protocol in the office, it, they'll find that they're going to be way ahead of the game coming, you know, coming out of this, or at any point in the future, that will provide some nice additional uh, revenue for the practice. Uh, last couple of things, practice management software, you know, no matter what they're using, Dentrix, EagleSoft, Open Dental, SoftDent, it doesn't really matter what they're doing. Practice management software in today's world, I, I can virtually guarantee will far exceed what it's being used for. So now we've got a little bit of time or look in the future, if we want to take some additional time on a day we're not working on a weekend or some time off, whatever the case may be, you will find some really good tools in all of these softwares that will allow you the ability to treat your patients more efficiently and add uh, some, some real profit to the bottom line. Okay, last thing is, and, and this will become really important as not only as we come out of this you know, COVID shutdown, but more important, I think, for the future, and that is let's define the roles and the expectations for our staff. 
I think if we take some time to really take a dive into, hey, what do our assistants do? What are our front office? You know, what are their expect? You know, my expectations for my front office, for the back office, for for hygiene, for myself. I think what we're going to find, oftentimes, especially in small businesses, small businesses, is that some of those responsibilities overlap. So now we're going to have a chance to make those responsibilities and those staff protocols more efficient, more dialed in. Not only does it help the business because it can kind of increase some efficiencies, I think, but it will. I think it'll help alleviate some stress because one of the challenges that these providers face is they're so busy in the chair doing treatment that oftentimes they don't have the time really needed to, to define their staff and help their staff understand what your expectations are. So now that we've, you know, we've got some time or we take some time in the future, let's make some videos, log them onto your website, you know, in a secure area where just your staff has access to it. So that in the future, anytime you hire a new assistant, anytime you hire a new front desk or an office manager, hygienist, anyone that comes into your business, you can now say, look, go online and click these five videos. I want you to watch them. I want you to ask questions. I want you to let me know if you have any questions with them. And instead of, you know, now demanding, you know, another seven, 10, 50 hours of training time from you as, as the business owner, you can have them watch these videos that you've recorded and it becomes efficient. It protects you in the future and it helps define for the staff and helps them understand what your expectations are of them. So look, I know that's a little bit long-winded, but those are those are really some great, I think, options that providers can take advantage of, you know, in today's environment and into the future. Well, thank you, Mark. That was a very comprehensive answer. It's it sounds like given that uh, there is time now finally to think forward, you gave us a lot of great ideas there. Um, uh, Rich or Matt, would either of you like to add into that? Um, I saw you nodding your head several times. Yeah, I would just say, I mean, Mark certainly has a significant amount of experience from a commercial real estate guy, right? He has a significant amount of experience in the dental industry. And I, I, I love hearing what he was saying. I, I guess the reason I'm nodding my head is because I think it's really, really uh, human nature to sit back in this type of environment and say, woe is me and look at my circumstance. And I love the, the ideas that were put forth because they're proactive and they're all things just like cleaning out the garage at our house or whatever it may be. They're all things that need to be done and we can start putting ourselves in a different mindset by being proactive in that mindset and saying, what can we do today? What can we use? How can we use this as an opportunity to move forward? Yeah, I agree with you. It's, there's, there's nothing funner than to come home and see that cleaned out garage. You know, it's a permanent improvement. Matt, you look like you might want to comment as well. You know, the only other thing that I thought of uh, that's probably more low-hanging fruit, you know, Stephen Covey talks about his four quadrants, and quadrant two is important but not urgent. And I see a lot of practitioners who are nearing retirement age and, and, and maybe a future transition candidate who have not yet converted to digital or are partially digital but not completely paperless, where they're keeping some forms, consent forms, still in paper charts, and make them some notes in paper charts. And that's one of those other areas that it seems like it's important but we never have the time to get to it. Uh, this would be a great time to fully convert a practice to digital to get everything scanned in so you're completely paperless. As most every young prospective buyer of a practice would ideally want to be buying a paperless practice. So that's just one other uh, aspect of housekeeping that can be completed during this downturn. Okay, great input. 
All right, fellows, what we've done is we'll kind of walk through uh, sort of where are we, what, what are things we can do to engage with our team now, and then what are some things we can think forward into as we since we have some of this sort of forced isolation, this forced downtime. But what I'd like to do now is turn you more specifically toward the real estate market. You guys are real estate guys at heart. Um, let me uh, lead us in that direction. And Rich, I'm going to uh, I'm going to send this one to you. This is a comment that we hear not only in the in the dental arena, but really all across the spec the commercial real estate spectrum. And and the question goes something like this: I can't pay my rent or, or perhaps my mortgage payment, and I don't anticipate making those payments. What 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 response can you give us? What what, what way can you help us think through uh, how to proceed without doing permanent damage? Yeah. Well, thanks for the question. The first thing is, I mean, we filled this question all day during this during the the COVID uh, pandemic. We've been filling it, and and here's what I'd like to say overall. Look, we need to recognize that we are um, two thirds of the world right now is in some sort of a lockdown, some sort of a stay at home order, and and so you going into long explanations of what's happening in your personal business to a landlord, the landlord already knows. And um, the most successful, and I've been involved in these, in this, the, the negotiations, the conversations, it's not even a negotiation, it's a conversation. And uh, the most successful conversations are, are, that are being had right now are the ones that recognize the landlords right there with you. Recognize that if clients aren't coming in, patients aren't coming into your practice, then, and that you're not getting paid, then you don't have the money to be able to pay the landlord, and the landlord doesn't have the money to pay the lender. And and all of that is just a chain reaction. And so, yes, uh, we find today that many dentists are scared. Many business owners, small business owners are nervous and scared and recognize, understandably so, hey, how am I going to pay tomorrow's bills or today's bills? Where am I? And everybody's in a unique circumstance because the landlord's right there with you. And so I would start by saying, make sure that your approach with your landlord is collaborative. and and I would also say recognize that if there's a way that you can help your landlord, then then you should. And if there's a way for you to pay your bill, then you should. And the question was, hey, I can't pay my bill. What do I do? The answer is pick up the phone, call your landlord, send him an email. Uh, don't hide behind somebody else to do that. This isn't your CPA's job. You know, this is your job. Pick up the phone and have a relationship. Use this opportunity to be able to establish a relationship with your landlord. Just yesterday, I was on the phone with a, with a tenant, and the tenant said, hey, I called my landlord. Thanks for giving the suggestion. I found out that he was in the middle of a refi, and what he really needs me to do is pay April's rent, today's rent, and then he's going to give me the next couple of months off, but he needs me to pay today's rent because I need to get the refi done so that he can protect the asset going in, in the future. And so they worked out, they paid, he paid a certain amount of his lease to that landlord to allow for the refi. That's a landlord and a tenant working together. Uh, another call I took this week was a, a tenant that I helped renegotiate on a lease renewal who is coming into some period of term where they have rent abatement. And he said, what should I do? I said, pick up the phone and call your landlord and offer your landlord. If you have the money to pay off your landlord, to pay this month in exchange for rent abatement, push the rent abatement down the road. That was a huge win for that tenant and that landlord to come together and say, hey, I'm here to help you uh, and, and just be collaborative together. Recognize that when we're, when we're through this, and we will get through this, 
the relationships are important to preserve between landlord and tenant and that relationship even beforehand if it was tenuous beforehand it's going to be uh, it, you know it, it, you enter into a rocky time and you don't want to make it more tenuous going going further the second thing or the last thing i'll say about this relationship is recognize that there could be clauses in your lease that you forfeit by not paying the bill for example many times exclusivity rights or right to renew um or ability to uh to do different things inside your lease that you've worked hard to negotiate uh for your lease become non-existent or become you know potentially at risk by not paying a bill and so recognize what those are reach out uh to attorneys um to your brokers to whomever it is that you need to get some some understanding on your lease document to make sure that you understand the ramifications of not paying the bill um but the most important thing is communicate and over communicate at this point yeah great all right thank you um matt or mark any any additional comment there uh, yeah let me let me add one thing i just want to really second what rich said I mean, at the end of the day, we're dealing with human beings on the other end of this. And sometimes I just think it gets lost in the whole negotiation of, of finding a lease space and negotiating the deal. Sometimes it, it, it can become a little bit problematic or adversarial. And, and you come out of the other end of that feeling like you're dealing with a conglomerate. And most of the time, look, sometimes tenants are, but oftentimes they're not. These are smaller local owners who are facing, you know, the same type, same type of stresses that the current business owners are facing, and they find themselves, you know, to Rich's point, stuck in the middle. Yeah. Uh, with you know, with tenants asking for deferment, uh, and on the other side of their issue is their lenders, you know, saying no, you owe us, you know, your monthly mortgage, and if not, we're, you know, we're going to have some different discussions with you. So, I, I completely agree with Rich. It is call, it is communicate. Um, look, you know, reach out to the experts, reach out to Rich, reach out to myself. We're happy to get on a, on a, on a call because the reality is there isn't a one size fit all solution to this. But the good news is that there are solutions, you know, whether it's, you know, whether it's an early renewal, whether it's a blend and extend, whether, you know, whether it's, you know, deferment of abatement or something like that, there are almost always options and solutions here. They just need to be handled strategically and handled well. So to Rich's point, you come out of the other side of this with, you know, with three, five, seven, 10 years left of term, and you have a good relationship with your landlord because these landlords are going to remember how they got treated when, you know, essentially when, you know, we were all facing a crisis. Yeah. So the good news is, is that I think, you know, to Rich's point, there, there are solutions here. Yeah. Okay. Um, um, Rich, let me come back to you. Let's talk about the perspective of someone who has, say, 24 months left before their lease would come up for renewal. So help us think through what steps that doctor could take in terms of uh, being sensitive to reducing overhead and yet knowing that there's a lease renewal coming. How do you see that situation? Yeah, well, certainly there's never a better time to look at your lease than right now to understand how much term you have left uh, and what the renewal rights are for your lease document. So if you're coming up within tw two years, it's time to build a strategy and to build a plan. Um, and that plan could, you know, Mark talked a little bit about uh, blend and extend and that, that, that plan could, 
basically be like, hey, we're going to expand our operations. We're going to contract our op- operations, whatever it may be, but we can add term to it. Um, certainly in many of our mar- many locations within our marketplace, there has been um, there hasn't been a lot of options to, to if you were looking to relocate those options have been you know I mean the vacancy rates super low and so this opportunity could increase options for you in the marketplace that those options that are, that are created then create uh, additional renewal um, leverage points if you would because the marketplace is changing so recognize that this disruption really changes the marketplace. It changes it for both tenants and landlords. It's kind of, it, it allows us to reset, if you will, and be able to build a good negotiation strategy on a lease renewal. It's uh, landlords, uh, most landlords care about term. Uh, all landlords want term, more term. Most, I should say most landlords want more term. Most landlords want to keep their face rate high. And so maybe this is a great time to be able to, to give a landlord term and face rate and keep that high and be able to do a complete uh, revitalization to your practice. Maybe the flow of your practice isn't the way that you, you've always wanted the sterilization center to be somewhere different or or you need another operatory or you, you want it to flow differently. This is a great time to be thinking about, hey, what can I do to, to be able to give the landlord what they need um, and be able to get some concessions in return during this opportunity to be able to get the space exactly the way that I want it uh, moving forward in the future. So yeah. certainly, uh, you know, Today, just like any time, if you're 24 months away from a lease, reno- lease renegotiation or lease renewal, the time is to start to be strategic about what you're going to do and how you're going to handle that that real estate um, negotiation. Okay, perfect. Thank you. So uh, I think what I heard there was that communication is critically important now that we're in this period where there's some unknowns. So even even uh, uneven communication or rocky communication is better than no communication because all the parties have needs. Um, Matt, did you want to jump in on this at all? No, I did great chance of it personally. Okay. Well, I would like to turn to you though, Matt, and uh, both Mark and uh, Rich uh, reference lenders. And because your world is dealing with acquisitions of practices, sale and acquisitions of practices, um, it's commonplace for you to be involved between a borrower and a lender. And so maybe you could start this uh, element, this part of our uh, discussion in helping us understand the lender's perspective on what's happening right now. Absolutely. You know, Blaine, that's that's a timely question. The lending market for dental practices has been more fluid. Uh, in, in all my years of doing this as a board certified business appraiser, I've never seen such a divergence of lender perspectives. Uh, typically, lenders like to swim in a school. What I mean by that is uh, the Federal Reserve kind of sets benchmarks for what interest rates should be or the baseline for them. And then most lenders all work off of that Federal Reserve rate and price off of that. And they're very close in their pricing and their credit criteria. So they all move kind of similarly. Um, but, but I'm seeing that change right now. For example, the, the largest, most established dental lender in the country has pulled back very conservatively on their criteria. Uh, very few approvals, much more um, conservative criteria on practices that they're approving much more conservative criteria with borrowers and how much liquidity, how much money borrowers have saved up. Um, but then conversely, uh, some of the other large dental lender players in the market 
are pushing forward as business as usual. Uh, just yesterday, I got a call from a lender that the uh, practice that went into escrow before this crisis occurred just had a loan approval. It's it's a right down the fairway, middle of the fairway loan, uh, but the bank really didn't skip a beat. Said, "Hey, same criteria as before. It fits. It's great. Let's do it." So I'm finding that each lender is kind of having to make their own decisions and determine their own credit criteria. There's no playbook for how to do this. And there's a lot more going on in the market than just interest rates. Uh, as, as these lenders are each taking their own evaluation of price and risk and uncertainty or the lack of uncertainty. Um, some of these lenders that are pushing forward with business as usual, same terms, same criteria as the beginning of the year, they're, they're, based on the fundamental assumption that this is an external factor that's slowing down businesses right now. And because of a lot of the, the measures that are being put in place with uh, employee programs, uh, hopefully loan forbearance or rent deferrals, it's reducing uh, the amount of expenses right now. So what that's allowing a lot of of dentists to do is reduce the amount of cash that they're burning through. And hopefully when this external factor is lifted, there's a lot of, I don't wanna say pent up demand, but a lot of dental needs there, preventative and restorative, that have been deferred and are now ready to go. And as a state in Arizona, historically our summer months are the slowest months of the year. Uh, There's a lot of feeling from these lenders that all that dental work that's been deferred is going to be layered in through what's historically summer months. And this will turn into not a profitability challenge, but just a cash flow and a timing challenge. And, and that's why some lenders are standing pat with current uh, rates. Yeah, interesting. Um, that's a great broad perspective on the view that the lenders have. Let me tighten down into a situation where a doctor or a business, a dental practice owner says to you, but but Matt, I'm ready to sell now. I, I had kind of stacked my chips, so this would be my moment. What what do you say to that person? Give me a call. Give one of the brokers at our firm a call. Yeah. In all seriousness, uh, that really is the next step. In fact, this morning, I just came from a, a very prominent dentist here in town uh, that was contemplating retirement and was already kind of stacking the chips, as you mentioned, to, to prepare. And this opportunity to kind of step away from what they called the hamster wheel, the daily hamster wheel of their practice, and find out that they really enjoy the time they're spending mountain biking, playing golf, uh, accelerated their timeline a little bit to say, hey, let's get this done now. I understand that that this is a temporary interruption, but won't impact long-term values of practices, but let's get this thing moving quickly. And if someone's in that mindset, the first thing to do is pick up the phone and call. Go out, we go out, we meet with the dentist, uh, we review all the qualitative and quantitative facets of the practice to determine what, uh, what a baseline value is. It takes us a month to two months to gather all that information, equipment lists, uh, practice management reports from the software, financials, tax returns, uh, take a physical inventory of the practice to determine value. And then from that one to two month period, The typical timeline to transition from listing a practice to finding a suitable successor, getting a loan approved, going through contracts, reassigning a lease, getting the loan funded and closed, and and starting the actual uh, clinical transition process, that can take anywhere from three to five months. So even if, Blaine, you called me today and said, 
Matt, let's go. This has reaffirmed my desire to, to transition out of my practice. Uh, we're probably five to seven to eight months away from that being finalized and the money being wired and closed, so to speak. Uh, so it's good to get started now, and there's plenty of capacity and time. Uh, like we've talked about all of these things that you can do to bolster your practice, to improve your practice. Um, this is also a good time to start gathering all the necessary documents and uh, doing the, the uh, feasibility part of the valuation. So that sounded like a very optimistic answer, Matt, in the sense that uh, all is not lost just because we're in this sort of momentary pause. There's still reason to be optimistic about a future sale. Is that is that a fair assessment? That is. Uh, as a board-certified business appraiser, I have a, a collective, a study group of a handful of other board-certified business appraisers across the country. And uh, we've talked as a group a couple of times about what this means and how we can adjust for valuations. And the prevailing consensus is that as long as we get back to business as usual within a couple months, uh, there will be no really long-term impact to values or the, the future viability of practices, which is really what uh, a practice is valued on and is based on is the future reoccurring uh, production and collections of a practice, which should be stable in, in the future long-term perspective. Yeah, okay, perfect, thank you. Uh, I'm gonna come back to you one more time, Matt. Um, here's a question that, we've, that we get from time to time, and I wanted you to respond if you would. What do you think the DSO's position in the market will be in the foreseeable, in the foreseeable future? Do you think they'll be more aggressive or less aggressive? <laughs> That's a tough question. Um, after consulting with my crystal ball, my <laughs> personal opinion is that I think they're gonna be much less aggressive. And if I were to, to say why, I think one of the fundamental reasons is because DSOs are set up very different from their, their competition and their contemporaries of owner doctors at a local level. DSOs are these big groups that have um, stakeholders and shareholders, and then they have a lender, a big bank, a Bank of America, something like that that's lent them a large amount of money to go and grow. And then they usually even have a secondary lender or a mezzanine lender behind that. So what that means is these bank, these, these DSOs, sorry, are very leveraged with bank debt and secondary financing debt and shareholders who have invested. That means they owe a lot of people a lot of money. Um, conversely, owner doctors here locally, uh, most of them probably haven't leveraged themselves personally as much. And as the years go by and as you make money, you're putting that money aside, you're investing it, you're putting in cash reserves, you may be putting into your 401k so that when a time comes like this, where, as I mentioned before, I think right now, it's not so much a profit challenge as it is a timing and cash flow challenge. Um, these private party dentists, they're able to reach into their cash reserves, their savings, borrow against their 401k, and take some money out to short-term bridge the gap if all of the other SBA and, uh, and lender measures aren't sufficient. And so they're able to weather these storms uh, much more successfully than a DSO that's pretty well leveraged and capped out because what they do with those profits that they make every year, unlike your, your owner doctor, they're paying it out in profits to their shareholders, to appease their shareholders, or they're using it to fund future acquisitions because they're aggressively growing through buying more practices. So when the, when the faucet of revenue turns off, they don't have a lot of cash stockpiled and set aside. So that's one reason why I think they're, they're not going to be as aggressive coming out of this. 
But secondly, um, the, those shareholders are investors. They're people that opportunistically put money in these dental practices because the returns have been really good. Right now, they're starting to see alternative investments and opportunity in different areas that are more attractive to them. So I think the money inflow into the dental market as an investment is going to decline. Uh, number one, because a lot of investors are, are starting to get a little bit of heartburn and, and maybe getting their fill of their risk appetite and, and want to pull back and be a little bit more conservative until the dust settles. But secondly, the ones that are aggressive, they're going to see more opportunistic sectors, whether it's travel, whether it's uh, restaurants, whether it's other small businesses. I think the inflow of investment money is going to start going in different directions as well. Uh, so I think with the exception of a few privately held groups and DSOs that are well capitalized, well managed, well run and have good cash flow management, most of them are going to be much less aggressive and not have the ability or the appetite to grow like they have been. Thank you. That's a great contrast between sort of big and small and international and local. So thank you for that. Okay. Well, uh, Rich, I'm going to turn toward you now. We were talking before we started about how this situation has uh, generated, ginned up some people who actually are pretty opportunistic, pretty bullish about the future. Um, I wonder if you would take a minute and, and help us um, think through uh, what you see are the opportunities in the real estate arena uh, as we progress through this period and then on into the future. So would you take a shot at that for me? You bet. So uh, Warren Buffett said, you know, you find out who's swimming with their, with, a, with their shorts off when the tide goes down, right? Um, at the end of the day, there are people that have been out there swimming with, with, uh, with lots of debt. And so as, the, as cash goes down, then there's certainly going to be some opportunities that hit in the marketplace. There's going to be individuals that, that come out with some pretty deep cuts uh, on this type of uh, global economic environment that we're in. And so for those individuals that are, that are sitting on cash, this is going to be very a, a great opportunity. And we saw that in the last recession. We saw uh, individuals and practices. We saw practices grow. Uh, coming out of 2008, 2009, more than 10, 11, 12, we saw people that, that had cash and, and took an opportunity to be able to expand and move and grow and, and strategically be able to, to implement their business initiatives. And we're going to see the same coming out of this as well. There's going to be, there's certainly going to be casualty and there's certainly going to be opportunist, opportunities and for opportunistic dentists um, and for practices that are positioned such to be able to go and expand and grow. And uh, you know, even think of it from just even outside externally from outside of dentistry, think of the restaurant industry and how many, you know, how the restaurant industry is going to um, recover from, from this pandemic. And, you know, that end cap space that you've been looking at and seeing that has been historically something that we haven't been able to, to run after or go uh, because lease rates for restaurants have been more attractive to a landlord than, than the dental rates, than what dentistry can, can pay. Well, that may be a pullback now, depending on how many restaurants and what the, what the appetite of that landlord's what that ex landlord's experience has been with the restaurant industry, and whether or not they've been able to pay their bills. They may not like the restaurant business anymore, and so there's going to be opportunities that come within each uh, within most submarkets that that we'll be able to identify. The idea is to say, hey, let's let's build a plan. Um, real estate. Uh, one of the mantras that we've had at Menlo Group is that real estate should follow a business plan. 
the business plan shouldn't necessarily follow the real estate. The best, the best real estate acquisition doesn't it needs to have a really good business plan uh, to be able to make the money. And so uh, we let's, let's focus today on building good real estate or building good business plans that then we can say, okay, how does the real estate allow us to be able to facilitate this business? Yeah. Okay. Um, Matt or Mark, you guys want to comment on this idea of uh, this downturn, like others, will create opportunities? I think Rich hit the nail on the head. Uh, During the last downturn, uh, dentists and similar tenants were uh, the favorite of landlords because of their stability, their predictability. And then to Rich's point, some of the flashier, more risky tenants would offer a little bit higher rate. And that seemed to be what landlords um, were attracted to more recently. And they're they're getting a good reminder of the value of a stable tenant. Okay. And and that's an important strength for dentists. Okay, great. Thank you. All right, fellas, we've covered a lot of ground here today. We've uh, really covered the waterfront in terms of short-term and long-term thinking, immediate actions, longer-term actions, uh, how will different players that affect the arena, uh, how will they behave over this period of time? So as we sort of pull this thing to a close here, I want to give you guys a chance to give us sort of last word, if you will. Um, Mark, um, Mark, let me go with you first. Would you, uh, as you have listened carefully and thought through this, and of course been in many client discussions, uh, where, do you, where do you settle as we come to the end? Yeah, you know, it's a great question. And I think the whole purpose of, you know, us putting out something like this is because I think there's blind opportunities in everyone's career where it's, you know, time to buckle down, go to work and provide for your family. And then there's going to be opportunities, whether it happens to be like the one we're facing now or we're facing these things in the future, because certainly there'll be other challenges in the future. And those moments will just provide opportunities to serve. And I think that's what the panel that sits, you know, before you on this discussion is really here to do, is just to provide uh, where we can a lifeline, a resource, a, a chance just to have a friend who's got some experience in the same industry that you do, that can provide, I think, a, a little bit of relevant guidance and guidelines in in some of the challenges that we're facing today. So, look, be- between the three of us, you know. Matt and Rich and myself, we have collectively over 35 years of experience in the industry. Um, we, we focus on the two line items on the PL for most dentists that make, you know, that oftentimes are the most impactful, and that is revenue and real estate. And then, look, when appropriate, and this, you know, or Matt really comes in in the transition state, you know, division, sorry, of the Menlo Group comes in is, hey, when you get to that point in your career and you're ready to think about, you know, the next step, then we can also advise and guide the process so that you can maximize the exit strategy for both your practice and your real estate. And that's important because they're two very different strategic transactions. So we, we tend to see things from a very broad network. I mean, we really do. And, you know, when, you know, past, past parts of my career, this, every dentist has a close set of friends and allies and study clubs and colleagues where they talk to and converse with, you know, on a weekly basis, monthly basis, whatever it happens to be. And, you know, they, they talk about some of the challenges and things that their industry faces, that their practice and businesses face, so on and so forth. And, and those are really good resources for all, for all of them. 
not only do we do that, but our network tends to extend a little bit further, oftentimes nationally with some of the different conversations and exposures of the, of the different entities, companies, businesses that, that we deal with on a daily basis. And so it just, it just tends to add a little bit more, you know, opportunities and, and, and possible, you know, lifelines, like I said, to just kind of help the process moving forward. So beyond that, look, there, there is a set of core values that we at Menlo tend to live our lives by. And they're not just words on a wall. These are all personality characteristics that I think all of us take very seriously. And that's professionalism, high integrity, speed, um, success-minded, positive energy, and committed. So we all try and take that into our daily lives personally, and we certainly try and extend those uh, types of characteristics professionally. So the bottom line is, look, and, I, and Rich can you know, say it for himself, Matt can say it for himself, but speaking somewhat for the group in this, I, I know that every time I've dealt with a client, I've made the comment, this isn't about me. This is about you. This is about your business. This is about your family. This is about your future. And we mean that when we say it. This is not about us. We're not going to put ourselves in the middle of it or put our, you know, we have a, in the commercial real estate world, we have a fiduciary duty to be able to represent to the best interests of our client that we can. And we take that seriously. And, and beyond that, from a personal standpoint, we, we mean it from, you know, the depths of who we are as individuals. We want our clients to succeed. We really do, and, and we will help in any way, shape, or form that I can, whether it's through transition advice, real estate advice, or it's just knowledge of the industry at large and what we can do and some ideas that, we can, you know, that we've heard of or that we know of you know, from prior experiences of things that we can do to help one another to get through this current challenge and any other challenge in the future. So I, I couldn't be colleagues with and, and business with and friends with a better group of individuals than I am here at Menlo. And I, and I mean that, and I, I hope that comes across as sincere as I mean it, you know, in a setting like this, I, I mean, I absolutely care about the people uh, on this call and we're doing this because we want to, we care about the industry at large. We care about those of our friends who are providers in the industry that we've helped in the past, currently helping them will help in the future. So it's a um, look, it's a great opportunity to spend time with all of you and, and, and hopefully, you know, this can add a little bit of positivity to the current situation and a little bit of guidance, I think, in the future. Uh, thanks, Mark. That's a great answer. Um, Matt, I'm not sure you can top that, but did you want to make a comment as we close out? And Rich, I'll come to no, you next. I can't top it. The only thing that I'll add to it is just my perspective that um, without sounding tone deaf or ignoring the, the humanity side of, of the current situation, what I'm fairly confident of is this will all be behind us. Um, and anecdotally to share my experience, uh, I think I had seven practice sales in escrow set to close in the next 45 days. That means a seller, a buyer, a letter of intent with price and closing date agreed upon, a loan that's approved, uh, just working through the final transition details. And in all seven of those cases, both buyer and seller have uh, mutually agreed, hey, let's stay in escrow. Let's just kind of be flexible on the timing, but let's work through this quickly. Uh, as soon as things go back to normal, let's, let's finish the deal. Let's get it done as quickly as possible. So uh, I share that because 
most everyone out there, if you you may be hearing concerns and um, issues and worries from colleagues, but there's plenty of contemporaries out there that are moving forward in confidence. Uh, I don't see any clients running for the hills and grabbing their uh, you know bars of gold to bury in the backyard. Uh, I feel like everybody thinks this will pass, and knowing that it's an external factor and not um, a, an intrinsic economic challenge, um, it, I think it's something that that everyone will be able to get through and get past. And um, so I'm I'm confident that people will be able to come out of this on the other side uh, with their business intact and and maybe even stronger if they can implement some of the things that Mark suggested at the beginning. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Okay, Rich, I'm going to uh, offer you the last shot here. What's your take? That Well, I, I certainly can't top uh, what's been said by, by both um, Mark and Matt. But my take is one of, the, one of the things that we offer is a very unique perspective to the entire life cycle of dentistry. We speak daily with people that are coming right out of school, with associates, with uh, practice owners, with sellers, uh, with retired dentists, with individuals that are in very unique circumstances uh, across the entire spectrum of dentistry. And so, you know, I would just echo the sentiments that have already been stated that, hey, we're, we're here to help. We mean that. And uh, if there's anything that we can do, we would uh, offer everything that we have to be able to, to, um, to give you the proper advice. And if we don't know it, we're going to tell you we don't know it. And we're going to connect you. We're connected in the dental industry. We can connect you to the, to the other individuals that, that, that may be able to, to have better position uh, an answer. But, uh, you know, we were certainly in an um, unprecedented time. We've seen that. We've heard that. We've read that. And it's true. We are. And, uh, you know, I look forward to, we all look forward to the day that this, that we go back to a new normal, whatever that new normal is. Whatever that new normal is, uh, we're going to be here. And we're going to continue to adapt and move forward and, and, and approach um, the marketplace on behalf of our clients in the, in the best and most professional manner that we can. And uh, excited to do that. We've been doing that. and We'll continue to do that. Uh, that's a great place to leave it, uh, Rich. Thank you very much. Uh, well, gentlemen, uh, good job. That's a wrap. Um, Matt Porter of Menlo Dental Transitions, Rich Andrus and Mark Haslip of Menlo Group Commercial Real Estate. Uh, thank you. Thank you all. Uh, your professionalism, your commitment, your empathy for the situation, for the players in the situation, your market knowledge, your, your technical expertise all shines through. If we were in a panel discussion at a big conference like we should be, you'd be enjoying a lot of applause right now. So thank you very much. And let me remind all of us here as we come to an end that the best way to contact these guys uh, and their fellow providers at, in the Menlo Group uh, is to call the main number, which is 480-525-5362. Thank you all for participating. We're adjourned. Thanks, Mike. All right, guys. I thought it went great. Let's